If you're new to the church, we are halfway through a, a journey together called Gifted, Discovering Your Superpowers, which is a beautiful metaphor, way of describing the fact that when God created us, He put a lot of Himself into us. We're not just created in His image, in terms of character, but actually in terms of abilities as well. God has put His abilities in us to be able to do what He's called us to do, to do what Jesus was doing. And I really want to what I've discovered and believe with all of my heart is that we are most changed by revelation, not points and principles. It's when revelation comes, when our eyes are opened to something in Christ, faith comes and we begin to reflect the glory of God. And so 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 to 14, it says, just as a body, though one has many parts, which we know is obvious. I mean, here I am up on the stage, one body, but as you can see, I've got a whole lot of parts and all of them work. Thank you, Lord. But all its part, many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Yo, think about that for a moment. So we were all baptized by one spirit. In other words, when you gave your life to Jesus... When people think baptism, they think swimming pool, and yes, that's true. That's the, the, the picture. It's like when you think Jesus on the cross, some people might think bread and wine. Yep, but that's the picture to remember. The water is the picture, the symbol to remind us. We are actually baptized into Christ. Like we go into a swimming pool, we are literally, our lives become submerged in who Jesus is and what he's done. We join to his death, join to his burial, join to his resurrection. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, black or white or Indian or rich or poor or educated, uneducated, whoever we are, the kingdom of God is the greatest leveler. Because we are all sinners, we all need a savior. It's a beautiful thing in Christ. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. That's interesting. Do you know that as a believer, baptized into Christ, you need to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Just like we need water, lots. We're given one spirit to drink, which is why we keep coming back to gatherings like this to worship the Lord. Why we go to small groups. Why it's a great idea to have a daily time with the Lord, praying and worshiping and reading His Word, drinking of His Spirit. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The revelation that I want you to see is that when Jesus came from heaven, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and He came as part of the Trinity, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And for 33 years, Jesus walked the earth in flesh and blood, and we saw the glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then He died on the cross taking our sin with Him, and when He was raised from the dead, He was raised somehow different. Because now he's finished his earthly work as flesh and blood. And even though when he raised 40 days, he spent eating, but he appeared here and he appeared there. But now Jesus, something happened. And when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, something had changed. Jesus had gone from, from being this individual man. Now, as the Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, it's as if now he becomes the head of his new body, us. We part of it. And I want you to see that now, what it means to be a Christian means Christ in, means you in Christ. That's what a Christian is. Someone who is in Christ. 
You are literally in his body. When we think church, so many people still think building. Don't think building. Think we're it. We're the body of Jesus here on planet earth. Which means you are sitting next to a nose or you're sitting next to a foot or a toe, or you're sitting next to an, a liver or a kidney or a pancreas, and you don't, might even know what they do. They might not even know what they do. But somehow, every part of the body is crucial. But I want us to catch that revelation. Unless we catch this revelation, we don't understand the incredible privilege of what it means to be part of Jesus' body. You're part of Jesus' body. There's no getting out of it. You are part of Jesus' body. Tell the person next to you, you are part. Vince, you are part of Jesus' body. You're hun? Huh. You, even you, hun, are part. I can do that because I love him. You're part of Jesus' body. And it's an incredible privilege. It needs to break into our hearts. But at the same time, the awesomeness of the responsibility needs to break into it as well. Imagine if for a moment we could have up on the screen... A snapshot of what outlook as a body looks like. Now I'm thinking kind of, not you, Johan, let me choose someone else who's got like some serious, I'm looking at the front row. Okay, maybe I'll choose queer. Maybe one of these guys, I'm picturing outlook church as this lean, mean body machine. We might not look like that. I'm concerned in some ways we might be slightly overweight in some areas, but paralyzed in others. Literally body parts that just don't function. How scary would that be? It's kind of like dragging our way because some of the feet aren't walking and some of the lips aren't speaking and some of the hands aren't reaching out, some of the eyes are not seeing, some of the ears are not listening. The revelation of Jesus as the body. So with that in mind, remember our text, Romans 12, 6 to 8. It says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I'm going to look at two gifts once again today. Two of my favorite. These are two of my top three. Actually, I think they're number one and two for me. Teaching and encouragement. Those come up every time I do these tests. Those are the two that seems to come to the top. Teaching and encouragement. So uh, any of you like me, who else has got teaching or encouragement as your top one or two or three gifts? Come on. Ah, oh, there we go. The rest of you, no Facebooking now. Stay focused because you guys need to work on that gift. Come on. But uh, if you put up your hand, I really want you to take this in because these are crucial, crucial gifts. So what's teaching? Teaching, gathering and communicating information to, uh, for the help of others. Gathering, communicating information to help others. The teaching gift is not to sound impressive or theological or wow, you're amazing. No, the gift is to be able to help others through the word of God. Can be done in many different ways. Normally people with this kind of gift love to ask questions. They want to go deeper. They want to understand things more. People have this gift high on their list, often have very inquiring minds and love to learn. Not necessarily learn about everything. You might not be a walking Google, but if something fascinates you, you want to understand it. You want to dig into it. You want to find out how it works and go deeper. For many who have this gift, once they become Christ followers, their interest in understanding and explaining the Bible becomes a passion. And I can say that from experience, Mom. 
testimony, I gave my life to Jesus, as many of you know, when I was 17 years old, and I was always on an engineering track. I'm not interested in drawing pretty flowers. That's a waste of time. I want to do box construction and woodwork. I want to build stuff. And when I started looking at books, I've got no interest in reading The Three Little Pigs and all this. No, no, no. I want know-how books. What's inside a washing machine so that when I take apart the family washing machine or I take apart the family, whatever breaks, I want to take it apart. I want to know how this thing works. Never read a book. I just want to look at pictures to understand how it works. And then I met Jesus. I think that first year of, of meeting Jesus, maths and physics were always my favorite subject. That's what I was interested in. I'm an engineer. In matric, my favorite subject was English, literature and poetry, which is just weird. In, in, in that first year of getting saved, I think I read about 50 books, and I hadn't read 50 in my whole life up to that point. It's like in that moment, God put this passion inside of me. I want to understand your ways more. I want to dig in. I want to understand. There was this huge hunger inside of me that hasn't gone away. It's, uh, this gift is, is best described as, as my greatest passion, it's true. That's why you hear me talk about revelation precedes transformation. My greatest desire is I want to see light bulb moments. I want to see like, oh, I get it now. I, I, you never understand how infuriating it is when you, you're trying to teach passionately and someone's drifting or dozing off. I want to like, I want you to get it. I want you to get my passion for this. And many of you are exactly the same. You know what it's like when you want to see people get it and be transformed by the beauty of God's word. I believe all of us should learn to teach as we mature. In fact, the writer in the book of Hebrews was a little bit frustrated, it seems, with the church at one point. And in Hebrews 5, 11, and 12, he said, we have so much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. This is a euphemism. Some translations, your translation might say, because you're so dull. <laughs> it was like saying, like, what's wrong with you? Where's your hunger? Verse 12 says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, in other words, the logical progression was surely after hearing God's word for a year, now you should be ready to teach. And yet, what does he say? Uh, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. In other words, the natural progression for everyone should be as we mature, we should be ready to teach God's word. Teaching God's word is a qualification for church leadership. Almost every other qualification for church leadership is character, but have a look at this. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, the overseer, the pastor, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, all character, and then comma, able to teach is the one skill required. It is a requirement for parents, moms and dads, this is for you. And let me say as well, grandparents, this is even more for you. Sometimes moms and dads are not always the best at this. Grandparents, you don't care what you're going to teach them. And praying grannies are the most powerful force on planet earth. So if you're a granny, please take note of this. It says in Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And many of you know, train your child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. Parents, don't leave it all to kids' ministry. It's not kids' ministry's responsibility. It's yours. Some of my most beautiful memories of time with my boys. Now, of course, they're like taller than me. But with those moments in the evening of sitting with my boys doing Bible devotion. 
Because it's great to have those times when you wrestle and rough and play, whatever. But those moments, sitting side by side in bed, doing Bible devotion were some of the most intimate and tender moments. That's when the questions come. That's when the real heart-to-hearts happen. Don't miss those moments if your kids are still at that age. And if you can bring it to family times around the table, even better. Teaching gift, of course, doesn't have to just be up front here with a pulpit. Uh, It could be in a small group, but most teaching actually happens most powerfully one-on-one. And for me, I love it. It's the one-on-one. Now, the problem is sometimes we call it counseling. Bible doesn't. The Bible calls it teaching. So what we think of as, oh, I need someone to counsel me. No, no, you need someone to teach you. And, And we sometimes think counseling, oh, therapy, oh, he has a tissue. The Bible doesn't say that. It says, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. And if you've been a believer for a while, then I want you to see yourself. You are a counselor if you know God's word, because you should be able to teach. You should be able to listen, help people recognize what they're doing, help them, well, ask them the question lovingly. um, How does that behavior reconcile with what we know God's word says? I mean, you... Jesus clearly said we must love our enemies and you are telling me how much you hate them. And then they'll justify, justify, justify and then you gently, lovingly, depend on your personality type, tell them to repent. (laughs) Because that's correct rebuke, encouraged with great patience and careful instruction. Counseling is a teaching of discipleship. And remember church, our mission statement is we make Disciples, that was pathetic. Let's try that again. Our mission statement, church, is we make disciples. The dream is every one of us discipling at least one person every year. It's a teaching gift, and it's in you, and we can grow it. Just, uh, I suppose one of the reasons I love this gift so much is if I ask many of you who the most influential people have been in your life, hopefully you'll probably say mom or dad for many of you, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But after that, it will probably come down to one of your teachers at school or a sports coach. Many times, those are the people who've had the biggest impact on our lives. I remember as a young, I finished off at at matric, turned 18 now. Now I've gone down to Durban, to Varsity, to do my engineering. And I was supposed to be studying, but we spent most evenings at the church doing Bible studies and this and that. And and Chris Vinant led the church at Glenridge in those days. He's got an incredible teaching, preaching gift, a passion for the nations. And I look back now, so much of my passion for church planting and going to nations came from that. That teaching gift was imparted. It's a powerful gift. Then on Wednesday nights, Nigel Day-Lewis, he was one of the elders, one of the classic teachers. And he taught us theology, taught us leadership skills every Wednesday night through all the Bible. What a privilege. And they've had such an impact in my life. Very quickly, what about encouragement? Encouragement defined as building others up, giving courage to others, particularly in tough times. They give courage to the intimidated and hope to the disheartened. And let's face it, in a world that we live in today, has there ever been a time when people need more encouragement than now? I mean, everywhere you look, there's pandemics here and wars happening here and economic crises here and this and that and that. And most people, you say, hey, how's it going? Oh, busy, busy, this and that. Yo, imagine if we as a church excelled in the gift of encouragement. And out of our mouths, instead of grumbling and complaining, came words of encouragement to build up, to inspire. People need it so much. Many people 
seem to have a default tendency towards negativity and cynicism. They see the hole instead of the donut. By contrast, people with a gift of encouragement are always building people up, lifting them up, firing them up. Sometimes in in an unhealthy way, encouragement can become a bit frivolous and uh, make light of something, like running onto the rugby field. I don't know what it is, but English people, they seem to mature later than Afrikaans people. I don't know, it's just, this is my theory. Because playing first team rugby in Howick, which is not such a huge achievement because there were only 16 boys and one of them couldn't walk. So I was like in the first team rugby. And, uh, but something about playing against all these Afrikaans schools, they somehow hit maturity way before we did. And they were like much bigger and they had a moustache and a wife and a car already. And we were like just... <laughs> And, and I remember running and the fields get so hard in winter. I'm telling you, I'm not a great rugby player. And of course, the captain is like, guys, oh, come on, we can do it. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. You're all right. <laughs> so I know it, sometimes, sometimes a gift of encouragement can seem a little bit frivolous. But at the same time, a true gift of encouragement is not uh, light hard. I mean, it's... I think, and I've shared this story many times, when I look back, I was pondering, what was one of the most encouraging moments of my life was probably that youth leader who got me to preach for the first time. And I've shared that story often, my little seven-minute preach. And the reason it was so encouraging is, and here's the thing, he saw something in me that I didn't see in me. That's the gift of encouragement. He believed something about me that I didn't believe about me at the time. And by calling that out, no, no, I think you could do this. I believe you could be a great preacher. When it hadn't even crossed my radar, I was like intimidated, insecure, and frightened. That's the gift of encouragement. Being able to see something in someone else, believe something about, and giving your courage to them to say, come on, you can do it. Let's do it together. That, for me, is what makes this gift such an incredible one. Jesus, of course, is the supreme teacher and encourager. As a teacher, he interacted with so many different people. I love the way he could teach the rich, the poor, the Jews, the the Gentiles, men, women, different cultures. I think it's beautiful the way he interacted. Of course, Jesus taught using many different methods. What was Jesus' most famous method of teaching? Parables. Wow, because you always remember a story. In fact, I'm here today... Because part of my salvation story was I had heard about the gospel many times. I grew up, I kind of went to church occasionally. I'd been on a few youth camps. I'd even prayed the prayer, Jesus saved me, nothing happened. Just, I mean, I knew about Jesus, but the penny had never dropped. But that time, 19th of August, 1989, when I went to that little encounter in someone's house, I shared that story with you last week, I think it was. The guy who shared the gospel with me did it a bit different, and I hope it still works with uh, trying to hold a microphone, but he basically said this, if you can imagine one of these lights shining on me here, literally said, look at the, imagine if this light was God, and God created you to live directly in the light of his love, of his grace, he's got purposes, plans for you, God's whole purpose that you would live your life directly in the light of his love and goodness and grace, that's why you were designed, problem is, Sin came along. And you were born in sin, and then you sinned, and now let that light shine, and guess what? You're stuck in the shade. And the reason your life gets messed up, the reason your life feels empty, the reason why you feel purposeless, the reason why you struggle is because you're living in the shade, and you were never designed to live in the shade, but now your sin has separated you from God's light and his love. And he said, then Jesus came along. Okay, you're going to have to picture Jesus here. 
And Jesus loved his whole life without sin. That's why he was born of a, a virgin Mary. Not just you want to make a nice Bible story. No, because she was a virgin, she never inherited sinfulness from man. And well, he, Jesus didn't. And he lived his whole life without sinning. So that's why he did the miracles he did. Because he was living in the perfect love and light of his father. And then an amazing thing happened. On the cross. That's what happened. And in that little moment, it's like the lights finally went on. You see, as Jesus went up on the cross, that thing that separated you from God's light was put on top of Jesus. And he was in the dark, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he suffered, and he died, and he, with him, your sin died too. And now, you left in the light of God's love. And I remember, now this is 33 years ago, and I still remember that little parable type illustration story. And some of you needed to hear that today. Because that's the little story that put my life on a completely different trajectory. Lord, I want to live out my life in the beauty of your light and love. That's the power of stories. Jesus was, of course, the great storyteller. Jesus, of course, was the great encourager. Disciples, they easily seem to get afraid and anxious, bunch of wussies, except we even worse. <laughs> I mean, you'd think being with Jesus after he'd calmed the wind and the waves, and you'd think surely they'd be courageous and strong, and yet... They gave in to fear and worry and doubts just like you and me. Matthew chapter 14, 25 to 27. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And I think those words of Jesus must have put something inside of Peter. Yeah. And he looks across and he says, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come. And Jesus said, great, come. <laughs> it's one thing to say it. It's another now to, um, and get, he gets out of the boat. And, and can you imagine Peter now beginning to walk across the top of the water and I'm doing it. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm following after Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And then distraction set in. Because let's face it, we're surrounded by distractions and the wind and the waves. They reel too and you feel it and, and, and the waves are hitting you and the spray's hitting you and, and suddenly you're distracted by the news and Ukraine and COVID and my business and my family and my marriage and my finances and all of these things and next thing he starts to sink. And in Matthew 14 verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And what an encouragement in that moment. Not just with his words, but with his hand. I'm with you. I've got you. Jesus, the great encourager to bring us through our doubts and our fears. Jesus speaks and Jesus holds. Our primary source of courage should be from Jesus himself. And then we can be his channel to courage to others. Now remember, many of you will remember from our birthday a couple of weeks ago, Craig Clark. Now, Craig Clark's a dear friend. I love him. And I shared some of the testimonies. I'm here today because of his training and because he believed in me. And, and he did encouragement through his actions, but not through his words. So here I am. Now I'm like 25 or 26, whatever it is, this budding young pastor. I've just come onto uh, this pastoral team and, and I'm preaching my first sermons. And when he goes out, I get to lead the church and I'm, I'm leading this, doing this, giving it my all because I want to be a great pastor one day. And I'm getting nothing 
from him as a leader. No feedback, no encouragement, like zip, not a little bit, zip, zero zilch. Now I come from, I got great parents, mom, dad, love you, because they were great encouragers. I was like, son, you're amazing. You've got such potential. You're going to change the world like, yay. Now I'm in an environment, nothing. So eventually I couldn't take anymore. I went to Craig. I said, Craig, please, please, just give me something. <laughs> Looked at me. And he said, you know, when I grew up, my dad never encouraged me, so I don't encourage others. If you want encouragement, go to God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At the time, I'm like, what? In hindsight, now I'm not, I'm not recommending that because the Bible does actually say encourage one another daily. <laughs> Excuse me. What it did for me, though, is teach me exactly that. <clears throat> it's one thing to enjoy encouragement. It's another to need encouragement. Now, when you're young and you're growing, we need encouragement, and others give us the courage. It's interesting, David, his friend Jonathan, went to David when he was going through such a hard time, and it said, Jonathan helped him find strength in the Lord his God. Later on, as David had matured, he came back with his army to Ziglag, and his house was burnt down, his family was kidnapped, the people were wanting to stone him, and it said, but David found strength in the Lord his God. He'd got to the place where now he can draw his courage and encouragement from the Lord himself. And what I want to say is this, is that's what we need to mature into more and more. The more we can get our encouragement from God, the more we will be able to encourage others and strengthen others. So maybe you're at a place now where you need encouragement, that's good, take it in. But as we grow, we should get more and more of it from God and need it less and less from others. Let me land very quickly. These are powerful gifts, and both of these gifts can radically change the world. And so if you're looking to uh, connect Bible truths and God's love with people's situation, that teaching gift can radically change people's lives. If you're looking for God's courage to fill us and flow through us, that gift can radically change the world. Sometimes, just in closing, it's sometimes the opposite of a gift that gives us an insight into how powerful a gift is. What I mean by that is, remember when the 12 spies were sent out into the promised land, and they came back and gave a report to the people, and two of them had the gift of encouragement, but 10 didn't. And the 10 that gave their report, well, let me read in Numbers 13, verses 30 and 31, it says, Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The report was, yes, there are giants, but God's with us. There is going to be a fight, but God said he'd fight on our behalf. And the 10 without the gift of encouragement said, we were so small, we looked like grasshoppers in their eyes. And Caleb said, we can surely do it. But, verse 31, the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Guess what happened to those 10? Died of a plague. Guess what happened to all the people they shared the bad report with? They died in the wilderness over the next 40 years. And only the two who had the gift of encouragement got into the promised land. Do you see how powerful a gift of encouragement is? The gift of anti-encouragement cost the whole nation their inheritance. Those who had the gift of encouragement can break open inheritances for us. So, I often refer to uh, 
John Maxwell, I listened to some of his leadership. He was a pastor. Now he trains biblical leadership. And uh, he says his dad was, was by far the most encouraging person he'd ever met in his life. Now, his dad passed away, I think, about uh, 18 months or two years ago. Melvin Maxwell, he died at age 98. And uh, so he, he tells a story of how his dad, now he's like 90-something already, moves into a retirement complex. But it's a new complex just being built. I think it's somewhere in Orlando, Florida, somewhere around there in the United States. But he says to his son, John, he says, but listen, it's very important, son, that when I move into this retirement complex, I need to be the first to move in. It's like, but dad, why? I mean, there'll still be boulders around and it'll be noise. No, he says, son, you don't understand. Some of the people who move into this retirement complex, they're going to be old. It's like, Dad, you pretty. <laughs> he said, but you don't understand, son. Some of them will be moving away from their family for the first time. Some of them will have just lost loved ones and are now moving. For many of them, this is unknown and unexpected, and they're going to feel, about, I need to be there so that every one of them who moves in, I can meet them personally and say, hello, I'm Melvin, and I'm going to be your friend, and I'm here to help. And he said, Yo, Dad, how, how do you know? When you meet someone, how do you know if they need encouragement? Because you're so good at it. He said, oh, it's easy. You look at them carefully, and if they're still breathing, they need encouragement. <laughs> That's the gift of encouragement. I tell you, it's a beautiful gift. These two gifts, teachers can transform destinies. Encouragement can see and believe things in others that they haven't seen in themselves before. These gifts are world-changing gifts. And many of you have them inside of you. Let's use them to his glory. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, please? Let's close our eyes for a moment. And just, I'm not going to call you to the front at all, but I want to pray specifically if, if encouragement and teaching are one of your gifts, one, two, or three, maybe you've done the assessment, maybe just after preaching, I'm like, you saying, yes, that's me. Why don't you just lift up your hands, just as a show of faith, because I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for these hands that are raised right now. Father God, I pray that you would inspire them by your Holy Spirit to take these gifts to the next level. Father, for the teachers among us, that we would go deeper, that we would chew more, that we would have this passion for your word, the desire for your Holy Spirit as the great spirit of truth to make your truth more clear, more easy to understand, more practical, more real. Help us to counsel and, and teach your word in a way that brings light bulb moments and transformation. Father, I pray for all the parents among us that we wouldn't be lazy or slack in taking up our rightful duty to train our children in the ways of the Lord. Father, I pray for the gift of encouragement. This world is desperate for encouragement. People in our factory, in our office, in our workplace, in our school are desperate for encouragement. Father, would you release this gift inside of us in such a powerful way? We want faith to believe that we can see and believe things about other people that they've never seen or believed about themselves. Anoint us for this task, I pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of ministering as part of your beautiful body. We want to do it for your glory. We want to do it well. We want to bring honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord God, for your gracious hand that rests upon us. Thank you, Lord, that your mighty hand is at work inside of us. In Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. amen. Just before you dash off.